The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. I'm Brian Sullivan, and you're listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. Our show airs live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern. Listen in. It is 5 a.m. at CNBC, and here is your top five at five. Can't stop, won't stop. The market's win streak just keeps on going once again, hitting new highs. Looks like we're moving higher again today. Taper tantrum? Hardly. Investors reacting to the Fed with a yawn as rates stay low for now. Good Tax news. Words you don't hear together often, as the latest draft of the Biden spending bill could mean a huge tax cut for many Northeastern homeowners. John Deere drawing a line in the sand with striking workers over contract talks, saying it is done bargaining. And breaking news on one of the biggest contracts ever by an American company is Venture Global. LNG signs a monster deal with China. First on CNBC Conversation with CEO. Mike Sable on that deal, all on this Thursday, November 4th. This is Worldwide Exchange. Well, good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, and welcome from wherever in the world that you may be watching. I am Brian Sullivan. Thanks for joining us. We'll have more on that potential tax shocker coming up. One, by the way, that could be good news for many high property tax areas in America, Northeast, California, Massachusetts, etc. All right, but speaking of high, stocks keep running higher and higher. And it looks like we could continue that streak today. Futures, they're up a little bit, not a lot. I'm talking about the NASDAQ of 55 points right now. Dow, we will call that flat. Now, if you are counting at home, the Dow is on a five-day win streak for the first time, well, since only August. But hey, it's a win streak nonetheless, maybe bigger. The Dow also on pace for its fifth straight weekly win streak, trying to chase down the nine-week streak going all the way back to February of 2019, just something to tuck away back there. All right. Also, want to get to take a look at get it get to take a look at. He said, bonds. It follows the Fed finally announcing what everybody has known for months that it will start the taper, lowering its Treasury and mortgage-backed security bond buying by 10 and 5 billion per month, respectively, starting later this month. The 10-year, everybody saw it coming. It's not moving. But the one thing to watch is the 30-year. 20-year, 30-year rates went below 20. They call that an inverted yield curve. Sometimes could be a deep recession indicator. Either way, probably more interesting to watch than the taper. All right, let's go now worldwide. Stocks in Asia ending their day higher following the Fed tapering announcement. Nikkei leading the charge up nearly 1%, but a very, very good year for Japanese stock market investors. And let's get a look at the early trade in Europe. As you can see, mostly green across the board, certainly as well. Not huge gains, three and four-tenths of a percent. But again, a lot of green on your screen globally right now. All right, now to some of this morning's top stories, including John Deere putting its foot down over contract talks with thousands of workers. Bertha Coombs is here now with that and more. Good morning, Bertha. Good morning, Brian. Deere says it is done bargaining with striking workers after they rejected a second contract offer this week. Company says it will not raise its latest offer, calling it its best 
and final one. The six-year proposal would have given, given workers an immediate 10% pay increase with subsequent raises in 2023 and 2025, along with $8,500 as a bonus. ExxonMobil, meantime, is apparently warning that some of its assets may be at risk due to climate change. According to Reuters, citing a securities filing by the energy giant, its board will test assets for potential climate impairments during an annual review. The report says directors will look at factors including future energy supply, regulation, government policies, and greenhouse gas restrictions with that review. Meantime, Google is apparently pursuing a major cloud computing contract with the Pentagon. According to reports, the head of the company's cloud division has met with Defense Department officials on the process for bidding for the agreement. The three-year contract would be split across multiple bidders and would replace a 10-year, $10 billion Jedi cloud computing contract terminated in July amid a battle over it between Microsoft and Amazon. So it looks like maybe they're just going to split the baby and give them all a chunk of it. Probably the best way to avoid, you know, companies complaining in your ear constantly or lawsuits, <laughs> but still seems a little overly easy, I think, Bertha. Just not picking, not picking one of your favorite children, distributing it across them all. That's right. Marsha, Jan, Cindy, you all get an equal slice of pie. There you go. <laughs> Bertha. We'll see it in a few exactly. minutes. Thank you. Marsha, Marsha, Marsha. All right. Now back to the markets <laughs> and your money. This even after the Fed finally announced the worst kept secret in the world. Its bond buying would be scaled back later on this month. But does it matter for the stock market? Well, it hasn't so far. Stocks keep running higher. But some fear it could eventually slow down the economy. For more, let us bring in Lee Baker. He is owner and president of Apex Financial. Lee, good to see you again. Do you think that this will ultimately impact rates? and or impact the overall American economy? I'm thinking, candidly, no, I don't. At this point, uh, what we've got is what we've known for a long time. Markets don't like uncertainty. This was a validation of what we expected to happen. So when it comes out and says, hey, listen, we're going to taper, we're going to stop buying so many bonds, that's just a validation of what we thought. And so it's business as usual. Uh, and so what I think we're going to continue to have happen is sort of this bumpy uh, continuation of a recovery. Uh, it's messy. Uh, the supply chain issues have been sticky, but we're still getting better. We're still recovering slowly, but just unevenly. So it's not a, a straight line upwards. It's sort of a bit of a roller coaster ride, but it's going to continue to, to get through. Yeah, I feel like sort of the, you know, the stampede out of the lockdown pen, as far as the consumer goes, you're not you're not putting those cattle back in the yard, are you? Because Americans, they are out. We saw mall They're mall out. spending is up from the pre-pandemic levels. Travel is surging. International is just reopening. Bookings are up 800 percent from a week ago because Absolutely. November 8th, next Monday, we're seeing more intro. So what do you think that's going to do for corporate earnings? And then what do you think that's going to do for stocks, Lee? So I think from a corporate earnings perspective, in some areas, it's absolutely going to help corporate earnings. Uh, there's still lots of dry powder, if you will, out there amongst consumers. Uh, we're seeing that. Um, some of that ability to spend on certain items is going to take a while because what we're seeing and hearing is that there's some things we want to spend as we come into the Christmas season that we just won't be able to get our hands on. But long term, and by long term here, I mean over the next couple of quarters, 
I think we're going to see continued spending uh, from the American consumer. Uh, the savings rate has come down just a tad, uh, but it's still above historical norms. And so I think that's going to give us the ability to continue to see some of that consumer spending over the next several months. Yeah. Is there any part of the market, Lee, that you like more than others right now or just buy the whole doggone thing and let it ride? Um, buying cautiously. You know, uh, you know, we just had the comment around Exxon. I think that the, the energy sector uh, still looks promising again, clearly over the next several months, uh, for some of the same reasons. We're flying around more. We're driving more. Personally, I went to a conference in person for the first time yesterday, and we're seeing more and more of that. Uh, you know, we've got the news on the Delta variant. Now we're going to begin to be able to give vaccines to some of the younger children. I think that is going to continue to feed uh, the narrative or feed the possibility that more and more people will begin to join the workforce. Things will continue to go back to normal. But we do need to be prepared for these uh, bits of fits and starts along the way. It just really won't be smooth, uh, but continued improvement. Yeah, certainly glad to see you back out. Before we let you go, Lee, what do you think is the biggest risk to the equity market? Some kind of winter surge and sort of, you know, consumers get jumpy or, or re I can't imagine lockdowns at all, given the, especially given the election no. results of a couple of days yeah, ago. But I, I, what, what might be the, I, the risks out there? I don't see uh, any sort of risk due to lockdown. You know, I really think uh, we're, and, and I'm keeping my fingers crossed here, I think we're likely to get past COVID. I don't see a, a sort of July reversal with the Delta variant. That being said, who knows, there could be sort of a variant out there. Uh, a, uh, a very, very um, tumultuous, uh, you know, we still got to deal with the December, early December deadline to get a longer term deal as it relates to the debt ceiling and that kind of thing. That worries me a little bit. Uh, but it, over the course of the next six, nine months, there's not a whole lot out there that makes me think, hey, this thing's going to get derailed. Good to hear. Lee Baker, Apex Financial, kicking off the show on a busy Thursday, Lee, and we appreciate getting up early for us. Grab a cup of coffee. Happy to be here with you as always, we'll Brian. Soon. Thank you. Yep. Go All right. Happy to have you on, Lee. Thanks. Cheers. All right. When we come back, a first on CNBC conversation with Venture Global founder and CEO Mike Sable on their breaking deal to send billions of dollars in LNG to China. Plus, your morning's big money movers, including shares of Allbirds soaring in their debut. What are they doing now? We'll show you. And later on, Formula One wants to go green-ish and on deck. A chat with F1 Pat Simmons on why an entirely new kind of fuel may be the key to it all. We're back right after this. What does it mean to be rich? Is it having more stories to share or time to give? Is it being able to keep your loved ones close or travel somewhere far away? At Edward Jones, we believe the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Your dedicated financial advisor will take a comprehensive approach to your financial strategy to help support what truly matters to you. EdwardJones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. At the UPS Store, we know things can get busy this upcoming holiday. You can count on us to be open and ready to help with any packing and shipping or anything else you might need. Is there anything you can't do? Um, actually, I don't have a good singing voice. <clears throat> the UPS... Nope. But our certified packing experts can pack and ship just about anything. 
At least that's good. The UPS Store. Be unstoppable. Most locations are independently owned. Product, services, pricing, and hours of operation may vary. See center for details. Come in today to get your holiday goodies there on time. All right, welcome back. It is time now for your big money movers. Three key stock stories of the morning. Let's go. Stock number one is Roku. Shares getting hit down about 7% right now. They posted a slowdown in new accounts in the third quarter and is guiding for lower than expected revenue this quarter. Roku citing global supply chain issues that have affected sales of new TVs. Stock number two, Qualcomm. It looks like it's going to be a good day for Qualcomm stockholders, posting record quarterly sales on surging demand for 5G phones. Qualcomm has also said it's taken extra steps to secure chip supplies, including having multiple vendors producing the same type of chip. Join the CEO, by the way, here on CNBC at 9 a.m. this morning. And stock number three is Allbirds, posting a huge jump in the stock in their IPO yesterday, rocketing up 90%. Well, if you're open for more follow-through gains like that, think again. The stock is up a touch, just under 1%. But, hey, pretty good day for the shoemaker and its shareholders on Wednesday. All right, still on deck. The company, formerly known as Facebook, firing the latest shot in its war with Apple over App Store fees. It's planned to help creators sneak past some of those charges coming up. Today's big number, 11.2%. That was the increase in the average tax refund this year, according to updated data from the IRS. The average refund was $2,775. At the UPS Store, we know things can get busy this upcoming holiday. You can count on us to be open and ready to help with any packing and shipping or anything else you might need. Is there anything you can't do? Um, actually, I don't have a good singing voice. <clears throat> the UPS... Nope. But our certified packing experts can pack and ship just about anything. At least that's good. The UPS Store. Be unstoppable. Most locations are independently owned. Product, services, pricing, and hours of operation may vary. See center for details. Come in today to get your holiday goodies there on time. All right, welcome back. Well, it is no secret that Formula One is one of the most watched sports around the world. By the way, this year has been a heck of a season. And as global initiatives for sustainability come into focus, the sport is finding ways to make sure it tries to keep up with the times. And F1 announcing... They will aim to be carbon neutral by the end of the year and carbon net zero by 2030, achieving this in part to a new 100% sustainable type of fuel. Let us bring in Pat Simmons, Chief Technical Officer at Formula One. And Pat is a massive F1 fan, uh, fanboy, certainly. Uh, I'm very pleased to have you on. Thanks for joining us. Talk to us about this new fuel. I know that we've gone to e, you know, E5, to E10, and ethanol. This is not that, right? You and your team are trying to develop an entirely new type of fuel from either biomass or just garbage, basically. Talk to us about it and where you stand right now. Yeah, that's exactly right. This goes beyond the sort of ethanol, the E10, the the things like that. And it's part of what we announced in 2019. This isn't a new thing. This is part of our really very ambitious sustainability strategy where, as you say, you know, we want to be net zero carbon by, by 2030. So as part of that, we we are introducing more ethanol into the fuels from next year. But the really exciting thing, as you said, is this fully sustainable synthetic fuel. And this is going to be a a drop-in fuel. It's the sort of fuel you can use in in any vehicle. And 
you know, the two billion cars that are out there at the moment, somehow we have to get them carbon neutral. And this is our attempt at showing how this could be done. Yeah, and you're working with Aramco, obviously, Saudi Aramco, the biggest oil producer in the world, at least as a company goes. And there's probably a lot of people, Pat, as you can imagine, right now watching this around the world, kind of rolling their eyes, saying, OK, here's a an oil and gas company trying to build this new fuel. But I, I think everybody sort of gets it, right, is that we're a long way from 100 percent electric around the world. That's going to take decades, if ever. We've got to figure this out now. And Formula One has led led the world in product innovation that eventually ends up on people's car that they buy at home. Yeah, that's absolutely right. This is nothing new. You know, Formula One has led this sort of innovation because racing is about efficiency. You know, it's something we've always been into. And I find it very refreshing, you know, both as an engineer and, and as someone who's passionate about our environment, that a, a company like Aramco is fully on board and really helping us in this sustainability journey that we're on. Yes, they do produce oil, but but they do have this ambition to really produce these these synthetic fuels that really we feel are a way to the future. Because, as you say, the electric vehicle has a place in society, and we're, we're certainly not in Formula One. We're not anti electric in any way whatsoever. We, we see the, the need for it. But equally, there are many aspects of, of transport where you really need a very, very high energy density. And what I mean by that is you need a lot of power and yep. you need it in a relatively lightweight. And it's not just in cars, it's in, it's in trains, it's in heavy goods vehicles, it's in aircraft. And this is the sort of uh, technology that we're really trying to develop. Yeah, and ships as well. Again, you know, you think about all the ships on the sea, all the airplanes out there. At some point, there may be an electric alternative. We are decades and decades away, certainly, from that. Talk to us while we got you, Pat, because in this season, by the way, is one of the best that F1 has ever had. I mean, I'm, I'm thinking back to James Hunt and Nicky Lauda in the 70s and some of those epic battles with Jackie Stewart. Uh, we'll, we'll forget about the 90s and the 2000s. Uh, what is the car of the future going to look like? You talked about getting smaller, you know, maybe a little bit lighter? Where does sort of this whole uh, fuel push factor into that? Do you see a much smaller gas tank in the car? Yeah, absolutely. It's not just about having a sustainable fuel. It's about efficiency as well. So while we will have a fuel that is effectively carbon neutral or very, very low carbon, we really want to use less of it as well. So we're pushing the efficiency, and part of that is making cars smaller, lighter, making the engines more efficient. I mean, already in Formula One, we have the world's most efficient small internal combustion engine by a long, long way. We convert the energy that's in the fuel at over 50%, around 52% of that energy is used to drive the car. Now, the cars you drive on the road are in the 30s, the low 30s. So we're a long way ahead of the, the marketplace at the moment. But we want to push that even further. Yeah, and you got the, uh, the 2022 car coming out. You got over wheel winglets and things like that. Without getting too technical, our U.S. audience is literally just waking up, Pat, having a cup of coffee. What's going to be the biggest difference to the car of next year versus the cars this year? 
Well, although we're having a fantastic season, we've got some really close racing this year, we still get the drivers complaining that because the aerodynamics on the car is so uh, intense, it's very difficult to follow another car. So it's very difficult to race against the car. So, you know, with a NASCAR, for example, you see lots of drafting, you see the cars very close together. That's very difficult in Formula One. So we've been on a now four-year research program of really understanding the aerodynamics of the following car rather than just the, the performance of the, the leading car. And we've produced a set of regulations for 2022 that we hope will allow the cars to race much closer together. Now, you could say, yeah, we're having a great season. They are racing close together. But I, I think we can get even better. You know, in Formula One, we're never satisfied. Yeah. We always want to do something better. And, and I believe in 2022, we've got a, a much better car for racing, for entertainment and something our fans will really enjoy. Yeah, like the kind of the return to the Jim Hall days, you know, the, a little bit more ground effects, not a vacuum on the bottom of the car like Jim Hall did, but, but more ground effects, push that car down, a little closer racing. Pat Simmons, look forward to this weekend's Mexico Grand Prix. Have a great weekend and uh, amazing season. We'll see you next year, Pat. Thank you very much. And thank you. All right, cheers. All right, let's get a check down on some of this morning's other top headlines outside of Formula One, including the latest on the governor's race in New Jersey, NBC's Philip Menas in New York now with that and more in the race, at least does appear to be over for now. Philip. Oh, that's right, Brian. Although I was enjoying that F1 conversation, I'm a McLaren fan myself. But yes, we do have a winner in the surprisingly close New Jersey governor's race. NBC News projects that incumbent Phil Murphy is the first Democrat since 1977 to win re-election in the Garden State. It was only a year ago that President Biden won New Jersey by 16 points, and now a Republican challenger nearly defeated the governor. The Supreme Court is taking up the most important gun rights case in years. Justices heard arguments to a case challenging New York's strict gun laws. Residents can get a permit to carry a concealed weapon, but only if they can show some special need beyond a general desire for self-defense. Gun rights advocates sued, saying that that violates the constitutional right to keep and bear arms. And finally, this morning, Mariah Carey is coming to the defense of her holiday classic after a bar in Dallas banned All I Want for Christmas is You on its jukebox until December 1st, and it's only allowed to be played once a day after that. The Grammy Award winner weighed in on Twitter with a photo of herself donned in armor after some users joked that the bar had declared war on Christmas. And Brian, I think they're feeling the heat here because the bar's general manager now wants to cut a deal. She says they will end the ban if Mariah Carey herself goes in for a drink. So I think they're basking in their newly found viral fame. Yeah, but I'll tell you what, it's actually kind of a compliment, I think, to Philip. Somebody check on Philip, make sure he's okay. I think the feed went down. Either that or a giant asteroid hit the planet, and I'll see you later, too. Nope, still here. All right, Philip, if you can hear me. I think it's kind of a positive, by the way, for, for Mariah Carey, because it's like, I heard we have Philip back. The song is so good, it gets played so much, they're looking to make it a little more special by limiting it to December 1st. Not like they banned it at all. Anyway, Philip, if you're out there, miss you. All right, still on deck. Cashing in some of its chips. MGM Resorts looking to unload one of its marquee resorts as casino operators look to cash in on the bounce back for the Vegas Strip. And a reminder, if you haven't already, be sure to follow our podcast on Apple, Spotify, other podcasting platforms, Dow Futures, their flat NASDAQ Futures 
they're higher. And we're back right after this. The taper is here, but the tantrum is not. Stocks look to keep running up as the Dow tries to make it six weeks up in a row. Holy LNG, the biggest ever contract with China, just signed hours ago. And the company who made it as a CEO first on CNBC interview right here in moments. And your morning RBI and the monster record run for stocks. The 10 names in the S&P that have doubled this year and calm down. No, Tesla is not one of them. We're going to show the 10 do you on this Thursday, November 4th. This is Worldwide Exchange. Well, welcome or welcome back and good Thursday morning, everybody. I am Brian Sullivan. Good to see you. Here's how your money in the global markets are setting up their day. Stock futures, they are flat to slightly higher. Flat-ish on the Dow right now, but they are higher on the NASDAQ. We're seeing the NASDAQ tech futures up, I don't know, about two, three-tenths of one percent. Same with the S&P 500. The Dow, by the way, despite being flat now, is in the middle of a five-day win streak and in the middle of a five-week win streak. So if we end this week higher, it'll be a six-week win streak for the Dow. And this will be the longest one we've had since, I think, February of 2019. Market stat wizards, you can correct me if I'm wrong, going back to just the pre-pandemic levels of February 2019, where we had a nine-week win streak. Still a ways to go, but hey, we're on pace. Now to energy and oil prices right now. They are a little bit higher on yesterday's close, but they are still down from a few days ago. WTI crude 81 and a half bucks. Well, today, OPEC and Russia will meet to discuss their output targets. And even though the meeting is virtual, it is arguably one of the more important meetings of the year because oil prices have been surging over the last couple of months. And President Biden, along with the leaders of Japan and India, have been pleading with, almost begging, OPEC to raise production, saying that OPEC's stinginess is the reason that Americans are paying so much for gasoline. The problem is that OPEC, as a group, may not be able to raise production more than the planned 400,000 barrels per day. The reason is something we talked about here on Tuesday. Most OPEC members simply do not have the ability to raise oil output. They are maxed out. Only Saudi Arabia and the UAE likely have any spare capacity. And remember that under OPEC's current deal, the Declaration of Cooperation, as they call it, they all have to have an equal stake in any moves or agree to let others do more. In other words, unless the Saudis kind of want to go rogue on OPEC, it will take the rest of OPEC+, plus to agree on allowing the Saudis and or the UAE to pump more, which is pretty unlikely according to my sources. The bottom line, the odds are good that today OPEC will simply stick to the script and add the planned 400,000 barrels a day more to the market in November and December, something that will not be enough to bring prices down now that oil demand is back above 100 million barrels per day, that according to BP, We will be on that OPEC meeting later on today, and we'll bring you any key headlines, of course, as they happen. All right, in the meantime, let's get more now some of this morning's other top headlines, including the Democrats' proposal to dramatically raise the state and local tax cap deduction, known as SALT. Bertha Coombs has more on that and more. Bertha, we talked about this. I put it in the open of the show. This is a big deal. If you're New Jersey or Boston, your hometown, 
or California and you've got a high property yep. tax or high California, state local tax a, base, this could this could be a big yeah. tax cut for you. It's a big deal for a lot of folks. Um, certainly, it's, it's been a shock over the last couple of years as we saw that change. House Democrats have proposed increasing the state and local tax cap from $10,000 to more than $72,000. That, according to a draft of the plan released by the committee, the Rules Committee, the new limit would apply through 2031 for the next 10 years. Another proposal from Democrats would see a five-year repeal through 2025 with a reinstatement of the cap from 2026 to 2031. Party members from high-tax states like New York, New Jersey, and California have been pushing for repeal of the cap, arguing that it hurts their states and residents. Meantime, the company formerly known as Facebook has announced a plan to help creators bypass Apple's App Store fees. In a post yesterday, Meta CEO Mark Zuckerberg said creators will soon be able to share custom web links directing their followers to pay them for subscriptions using Facebook's native payment system. Now, Apple's App Store currently does not allow apps to offer alternative payment options for purchasing digital goods. But Facebook's move gets around that, potentially, by having creators send the subscription links themselves. And MGM Resorts International has announced plans to sell its Mirage Casino and Resort operations in Las Vegas. In a letter to employees, CEO Bill Hornbuckle said the sale will be best for the long-term success of both the property and MGM Resorts. The company also reporting third quarter results swing to a profit this year as revenue bounced back amid a return to by travelers. Shares are higher in the pre-market, Brian. Boy, Vegas is just not as important as Macau these days. No, I think Macau's like three or four times larger on so many metrics, even bigger than that and other metrics. I mean, I think you could probably, if you were up in space, see Macau and Vegas, by the way, from the <laughs> sky. All right, Bertha Coombs. I mean, I have no but doubt. You know, they're both the no, same in the yeah, metaverse. <laughs> you know, we still gotta, I'm still going to call Facebook Facebook, I think, until people, it fully ingrains. But by the way, it's like people ask me again. I said it before. I'll say it again. People say, what's the metaverse? I said, I don't know. But I imagine it's got to be something like Ready Player One, the book that became a movie, which is a pop pop culture hit, by the way. If you, it's kind of this online yeah. world called Snow the Oasis. Crush, I'm, I'm a dork. Is, is I, I just, talks about. I've literally just outed myself. We talked about Dune earlier this week, and now <laughs> Ready Player One. I think you, I think you get where I'm coming from, Bertha Coombs. Thank you very much. And yes, <laughs> I have a comic book collection. Bertha, thank you. All right, now to the Fed. As expected, announcing yesterday it will start unwinding its massive bond-buying program this month. The move greeted with a big yawn by investors who saw it coming. I mean, who didn't? But the Fed did a good job of telegraphing it. Jay Powell, though, also insisting that it's too early to think about rate hikes, even with widespread inflation. We're aware that that language sounds, it sounds a little out of touch with what's going on, but uh, you know, we're not at maximum employment. When, when, the, when, that, when that is the case, we'll look to see whether the inflation test is met. And there's a good chance that it will be if you look at, at how inflation has evolved in the last year and a half. All right, let's get more insight now with Megan Green, Global Chief Economist at the Kroll Institute and a senior fellow at the Harvard Kennedy School. 
yeah, Megan, thank you very much for joining us. I think it's important to remember, and for those who are sort of just casually associated with the market, the taper is not a rate hike. They're different things. The taper could lead to the bond market rate raising rates on its own, but it's not a rate hike. The taper not moving stocks at all. Why do you think that was? Just because everybody and their mother and their mother's mother saw it coming? Yeah, I think it's down to the Fed's communication on this one. There was a lot of concern that we would have a repeat of 2013's taper tantrum, and that hasn't happened at all. Stocks reached new highs. After the announcement, bond yields hardly budged. Uh, The Fed didn't surprise anyone with its announcement that it will start tapering bond purchases by $15 billion a month. Um, Now, they've committed to that for November and December, They haven't committed to that further on, so they can reassess from January onwards and and accelerate it or decelerate it, depending on what's happening with inflation, the labor market and growth. But I think also, aside from the taper announcement, there were a few interesting nuggets in yesterday's press conference. I think Jay Powell kind of redefined uh, how the Fed is thinking about transitory. So I think he sort of expanded it and said the Fed expects inflation to be higher until the second or third quarter of next year. Um, I think if you had said six months ago that that would count as transitory, people wouldn't have believed you um, because transitory is supposed to just be a couple of months. But it's it's prices are going to be higher for much longer than that. And also, Jay announced you know, how much we don't know about the labor market, given what the economy has gone through, which really underscores the Fed's patience on rate hikes. So while the Fed has announced tapering yeah. and, and will start tapering, it'll take a lot longer, I think, for rates to go up. And I liked what Jay Powell actually had to say, showing kind of a little bit of a human side. I mean, he almost kind of chuckled and said, I know people are kind of laughing at us when we talk about this idea of transitory, or however he put it in Fed speak, he acknowledged that there's been some criticism around that term, but you don't go skydiving without a backup chute, I'm told. And the Fed, to your point, gave themselves an out. There's a long meet, long gap between December 5th, or whatever the meeting is, and the, the next one, which is the end of January, so almost two months where they could change their mind. Yeah, that's right. So uh, they have plenty of flexibility baked into this taper plan, uh, which I think is smart because, as Jay highlighted, we've never been through this before in economic terms. And so while the Fed thinks that the labor force participation rate has been a bit suppressed and we're not seeing people jump back into the workforce the way we thought they would. The Fed thinks that's because people are still worried about the virus or they've got a cushion of savings as a result of stimulus measures. And that should improve over time starting tomorrow, actually, with the jobs report. But they're not sure. They want to see that happen first before they even begin to really commit to anything like rate hikes. Yeah. And the taper is not the hike. The hike is what we care about. The hike is still a long way off. Megan Green of Kroll, We appreciate you getting up early and coming on, Megan. Have a great day. Thank you very much. All right. Coming up, a first on CNBC conversation with Venture Global founder and CEO Mike Sable on their massive natural gas deal with China's Sinopec, $30 billion worth over 20 years. It's a biggie. We are back right after this. All right, some breaking news to report now, and this is a big deal, literally a big deal. U.S. liquefied natural gas company Venture Global LNG announcing a massive 20-year, 
4 million ton per year LNG supply deal with China's Sinopec. It is not only the biggest LNG contract ever signed by an American company, but this one deal alone will double U.S. LNG exports with China. We were able to speak with Venture Global CEO Mike Sable earlier about it, and I began by asking him how the deal came about and why now is the right time. Oh, thank you very much, Brian. We're really excited about about uh, about this transaction with uh, with China. And you're right; it's been a long journey. Uh, at the end of the day, we compete in a commodity market space, and and by definition, risk-adjusted cost and and price are what the customers are looking for. And so, we've relentless relentlessly focused on on delivering the lowest possible uh, delivered uh, clean LNG possible to the market. And uh, at the end of the day, that's that's what our our good friends and and uh, and now customers uh, at uh, Sinopec in China were looking for. Uh, and so Can you give us we an were idea able for, to go ahead. Sorry to interrupt, Mike, for our audience that's maybe not, you know, you guys speak in millions and BTUs and some unique terms in the natural gas and LNG markets. Can you give our audience for those sort of relatively uninitiated an idea of just the size and the scope of this deal? Sure. No, absolutely. It it overall over the term of the contract is going to aggregate uh, more than 80 million tons on a on a dollar basis. That'll eventually end up being over uh, 30 billion dollars for the life of the contract. Uh, it is uh, uh, four million tons. And, 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 and you're right. In, in our industry, we talk about kind of capacity of contracts generally in terms of a million tons per annum. And so this is a, uh, a four million ton per annum contract for our Plaquemines LNG facility, which is our second one. And on a shorter term basis, it's approximately two million tons out of our um, almost complete facility, Kakshu Pass. Uh, but in terms of scale, it's uh, north of uh, going to end up being north of approximately 30 billion dollars. Wow. And I know that pricing tends to be a very closely kept secret amongst you and some of your competitors. You've got a different model. You've tried to be a lower cost because you built it in a, in a different way. You kind of uh, started from a unique perspective, and that was your goal. Can you give us an idea, given their demand for energy, particularly LNG, how aggressive or maybe not aggressive Sinopec and China were in negotiating this deal? Sure. No, it's uh, we. You're correct. We ended up um, um, taking a very different approach to configuration of our facilities for a traditional, in our case, 10 million ton scale facility. Uh, uh, typically, today, people will build two 5 million ton per annum trains. We have 18 liquefaction trains uh, for our 10 million ton facilities, and uh, that allowed us to build them in a factory setting and take advantage of traditional. Uh, you know Henry Ford style manufacturing in in uh, in factories. We think overall, uh, from the traditional approach uh, relative to U.S. producers traditionally, we've probably shaved thirty percent off the cost. And uh, relative to some of the international projects, uh, you know more than fifty percent. And in commodity markets, as you know, people will compete aggressively over you know one or two percent differences in prices, and so. We've been um, very um, disciplined over the years in trying to deliver value for customers and for shareholders, um, you know, selling, hopefully selling more market share and delivering great returns for our shareholders that way. 
Uh, and I understand the, uh, often in, in, in industries like yours, there's a competition, obviously. There's Tellurian, there is Chenier, uh, Freeport, yep. LNG as well down the road. But some people say the pie is big enough for these American companies to all succeed. You know, is this kind of a sign, given what's going on in Europe with their sort of reliance on Russia, the UK, China? Is this kind of a, a U.S. LNG to the rescue? And is the pie big enough for for all the major LNG players in the United States to survive and thrive? Yeah, you know, the market, as we were uh, chatting about earlier is uh, is growing. There's a growing global middle class that has uh, you know the same demands that the developing world has experienced with air conditioning and and uh, and uh, you know dishwashers and and lights and and water pumps, whatever the traditional demands are in the developing in the uh, in the developed world. The developing world is going down the exact same path. So demand is going to continue to grow, and we think actually increase with more and more policy initiatives supporting renewable energies. Uh, you need to have baseload energy production to cycle around that, and gas is by far the the best approach to that. Now, Sable added that another big benefit to this deal is that it could help cut coal use in China, something that has made them the world's biggest polluter. All right, on deck. Your morning RBI lays out the 10 S&P 500 stocks that have doubled this year. Do you think you know who they are? I'll bet you don't. The names ahead. Plus... Morgan Stanley's private wealth management's Katarina Simonetti on where she is finding opportunity, even as stocks continue to break records. NASDAQ futures up four tenths. We're back right after this. Well, today's RBI is about this monster record run for stocks because it has been a great run for the indexes, but an even better one for many single stocks and their investors. Check this out. There are now 10 S&P 500 stocks that have doubled this year. Who are they? Well, don't worry. We've done the work for you. The 10 names up 100% or more this year are, in order of their returns, best to, not worst, but best to 10th, Moderna, obviously, Devon Energy, Bath & Body Works, Marathon Oil, Diamondback Energy, another oil company, Fortinet, Ford, you go Ford, steel company Nucor, NVIDIA, and Gartner, all more than doubling. Now, Generac came up close, up 99.4%. Come on, Generac, you can do it. And four other stocks are up 90% or more this year. Think about that. Wow. Some big money makers out there. Three of those names are in oil and gas. Ford popping on its EV plans. Go figure. And no, as you noticed, Tesla not on the list. Tesla's had a great year. It's made people a lot of money. But it is not a double from the beginning of the year. It's a double off its lows this year, but not from the beginning. Anyway, there's clearly not a huge trend here because, as Kramer likes to say, it's a stock market, but it's also a market of stocks. And that has been proven 100% right this year. So if you own any of those names that we listed, celebrate. Take the family out tonight. Sizzler, whatever. You have earned it. Random, but interesting and profitable. Let us stick with the markets and bring in Katarina Simonetti, Senior VP and Private Wealth Advisor at Morgan Stanley Private Wealth Management. Katarina, great to have you back on. I hope I made a point, which is it's real easy to buy the S&P 500 or the Triple Q. Low-cost strategy, I get it over time. It's probably going to work beautifully, not knocking it. But if you were smart enough to listen to smart people like you and your team or others, you could have well 
outperformed the macro market this year. Well, Brian, thank you for having me on again. And you're absolutely right. This is a really challenging market. And investors are a little bit confused because on one side, there is this excitement and exuberance over the market. Uh, they're bullish on the market. They continue to buy on dips. But at the same time, it's very hard to ignore the levels that the market is at. So the question is, what do we do? And would we advocate to investors that this is a perfect time to maybe not take the money off the table, but to take some profits? I mean, you just described some amazing returns. And this is the time, in our opinion, to strategically position portfolios for the next year and pivot the portfolios towards the defensive place plays like healthcare, high quality tech, uh, financials, materials, that are a lot of great mm -hmm. buying opportunities in individual stocks and individual sectors. So what are we doing? You're saying now is the time as we approach the end of the year to start rebalancing. We are going then, Katerina, from what to what? So, Brian, if you think about the appreciation that we saw this year, both in indexes and in individual positions and in certain sectors, uh, we have to think strategically. We're probably going to see really strong buying spending season through the holidays, right? Because it still is fueled by personal savings. It is fueled by the earnings that investors received in this market. But when we wake up on January 1st, the challenges that we see in this market, like supply costs, uh, the higher costs, supply chain interruptions, the labor shortages, all of these issues are going to inevitably lead to the earnings slowdown. So what do we like? We like uh, consumer staples. Uh, we're a little bit bearish on uh, consumer goods, but we still like the services. Sectors like financials that are positively correlated to higher rates. And Federal Reserve is very clear about the fact that they're going to be tapering and eventually raising rates. We can expect higher rates next year. We know that. And healthcare, the aftermath of COVID is going to be felt for years to come. So there is a lot of pent-up yep. demand there, a lot of earnings potential. Uh, you know, I, it was one of my predictions for I hate to do it, Katerina, you're right. I mean, the, the fact that so many millions of Americans have gained substantial weight, diabetes rates are going up, everything that goes along with that. We've got a lot of health care and mental health care issues that we are going to have to deal with for a long time, aren't we? Absolutely. And uh, the buying power yeah. and purchasing power of investors is no longer going to be supported by stimulus checks. So we have to dig in and we have to prepare for a more yeah. challenging market. And is it possible to make money in this market? Absolutely. We just have to be strategic and we have to prepare the portfolios for what's to come next year. Okay, 2022, a new year, literally and figuratively from an investing perspective, looking at health care and other cyclicals. Katerina Simonetti, a real pleasure to have you back on the program. Have a great day. We'll see you again soon. Thank you very much. All right, that does it for us here on Worldwide Exchange. We will see you tomorrow morning, same time, same bat channel. Squawk Box of the gang, they're next. You've been listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. You can always catch us live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern only on CNBC. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. 
That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx.